the uh, Christmas series um, that we're doing is one that's going to be celebrating the Advent season. And the Advent season is actually all about God drawing near, right? Everybody say amen to that, right? God drawing near, God coming near to seek and to save humanity that was lost. And so today I'm going to um, open it up um, because last week was really the beginning of the Advent season. I hope you were encouraged by the message um, that uh, uh, Michael McGreevy was able to share. And it's going to be sort of a dovetailing of that message, but focused on the Advent season. And when we're talking about God's um, drawing near today, we're going to talk about he, him drawing near for an unusual mission. Now, when we think about it, I'm going to ask you to think about it in terms of um, basically looking through the eyes of Joseph today. Looking through the eyes of Joseph, we're going to hit a familiar scripture um, that is uh, attached to the Advent season, but we're going to look through um, the eyes of God and God drawing near through the eyes of Joseph because we want to talk about God's unusual mission of the Advent season in at least three parts today. We want to talk about it in terms of the complexity of purpose. Number two, recognizing that which is birthed of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, understanding that it's all, in, in the end, our lives are meant to serve Emmanuel. Serve Emmanuel, okay? God with us and God who draws near. So today, we're going to talk about an unusual mission in the complexity of purpose, recognizing that which is of the Holy Spirit, and finally serving Emmanuel, okay? So let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, your word to us today. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. God, we thank you during this Advent season. We're celebrating all that you are and all that you've done and sending your son, Jesus Christ, the savior of the world to seek and save that which was lost and come and redeem us for yourself. God, we, help, we ask that you would help us today in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible today, you can open to Matthew chapter 1. Um, we're going to look at verses 18 through 25. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus." All right, so all of a sudden, many of you are familiar with this Advent story or this portion of the Advent story. And this is the story of uh, God bringing his son Jesus through the Immaculate Conception, right? How many people grew up um, understanding and being taught about the Immaculate Conception? 
That is foundational to our faith, right? That God, through fulfillment of prophecy, part of how we know who the Christ is, part of how we know who the Savior of the world is, is that hundreds of years before Jesus ever showed up on the scene, the prophet prophesied that the child who was going to be the Savior of the world was going to come through a birth, an immaculate birth, through a virgin, and that virgin was going to bring forth the Savior of the world. This is the story of this account. Joseph, though, was not prepared to be part of that story. You always uh, are ready to celebrate that which God is doing until you're actually the one smack dab in the middle of that story. Anybody say amen to that? Okay, it's sort of like I'm excited about what God wants to do, but I'm not always excited when I'm actually one of the pivotal players in the midst of it. Joseph, in the midst of this scene, had to come to grips with the complexity of purpose. And what he needed to understand, ultimately, like we all need to understand, is that part of God's drawing near to us is understanding that we need to realize that God's plans may not be your plans. God's plans in life may not be your plans. When God draws near, he actually is drawing near for good and for his glory and for your, um, um, and for your benefit, ultimately, not only in the present but eternally, but his plans may not be your plans. Now, looking through the eyes of Joseph, we have to understand that when you have a day like Joseph's receiving the news of Mary's pregnancy, sometimes the platitudes that we see posted on Facebook or Instagram or your favorite website may not do it for us. I heard one that was recently said where somebody was trying to be encouraging, and they said, the attitude you bring to the day is what the day will bring to you. Great attitude, great day, right? Now, that sounds good, and that sounds encouraging, but whenever you're all betrothed to a wife, uh, somebody who's supposed to be your wife, and then all of a sudden she shows up and says, hey, listen, I'm pregnant, but don't worry. Don't worry. It's from the Holy Spirit. Don't worry about it. You can trust me. Let's keep going. You know what I mean? We have it all together. It's going to be good. This is God's plan for us. What we see is that empty platitudes at the end of the day won't do it. It's got to be the promises of God that are driving us forward. Joseph's entire concept of purpose in life was being shaken at that moment. It was being shaken. And we live in a culture where our sense of significance and our plans for purpose are often attached to our feeling of individual achievement. Individual achievement and individual contribution or significance in the world. It was expressed well in the existential musings of a man named Saul Bellow in a book called Dangling Man. Has anybody ever heard of Dangling Man before? Okay, it was written years ago and it was um, an existential piece and it was about a man, unemployed man in Chicago who was waiting to be drafted for the war. And while he was waiting to be drafted, he was sort of of writing in a journalistic format, trying to think about what life meant and what the significance of life is. And these are the same types of musings that we have today. Just listen for a moment. You can read on the screen if you want to. But these are the types of complexities that we have to deal with in purpose today. This is what Saul Bellow said. He said, of course, we suffer from bottomless avidity, which means enthusiasm. Our lives are so precious to us. We are so watchful of waste or perhaps a better name for it would be the sense of personal destiny. We all want a sense of personal destiny. Yes, I think that is better than avidity. Shall my life be um, by one thousandth of an inch fall short of its ultimate possibility? 
it is a very different thing to value oneself and to price oneself crazily. And then there are our plans, our idealizations. These are dangerous too. They can consume us like parasites, eat us, drink us, and leave us lifelessly prostrate. And yet we are always inviting the parasite as if we were eager to be drained and eaten. Okay, you hear what he's saying here? It's sort of like saying that I'm living for a sense of purpose, destiny, and it's the very thing that consumes me but also tears me apart, right? These are the plans that people make for themselves. Now, why? He goes on to say this. He says <clears throat> that these are dangerous. Blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry, next one. It is because we have been taught there is no limit to what we can do, right? When we're very young, everybody's telling you all that you can be, all that you can do. 600 years ago, a man was what he was born to be. Satan and the church, representing God, did battle over him. Continue. He, by reason of his choice, partially decided the outcome. But whether afterlife, he went to hell or to heaven, his place among other men was given. It could not be, con um, be contested. But since the stage has been reset and human beings only walk on it, and under this revision, we have instead history to answer to. He's talking about the division between a, a worldview of faith where God is the one giving people their purpose and actually humanistic reality now where people live in a concept where they have to define life, purpose, and reality for themselves. He says we were previously important enough then for our souls to be fought over. Now, each of us is responsible for his own salvation, so humanistic thinking believes, which is in his greatness. And that, that greatness is the rock our hearts are abraded on. Great minds, great beauties, great lovers, and criminals surround us. From the great sadness and desperation of Werther's and Don Juan's, we went to the great ruling images of Napoleon's. From these to murderers who had the, that right over victims because they were greater than the victims, to men who felt privileged to approach others with a whip, to schoolboys and clerks who roared like revolutionary lions, to those pimps and subway creatures, debaters in midnight cafeterias who believed they could be great in treachery and catch the throats of those they felt were sound and well in the lassos of their morbidity to dreams of greatly beautiful shadows embracing on a flawless screen, right? That's our Netflix entertainment. Because of these things, we hate immoderately and punish ourselves and one another immoderately. The fear of lagging pursues and maddens us. The fear lies in us like a cloud. It makes an inner climate of darkness, and occasionally there is a storm and hate and wounding rain out of us. What he's saying is that all of these things, and don't worry, this is all be, this will all be on the website. You can read it again later. Because some of you are like, huh? <coughs> Let me tell you. <coughs> Excuse me. Story right work. Okay. What he's saying is that we are driven by things that we're, we have a, necessarily a feeling of a need for greatness. And Joseph, whenever he's dealing with this sense of, I have my life in a package, I have my life in a sense of how it should be, when the Immaculate Conception came, it challenged all of that about him. It challenged all of that about him. 
Joseph was moving dutifully through the seemingly uninspired but good life responsibilities thrust upon every man of his day. He was making use of his skills as a stonemason for work, had an impending marriage, and was preparing a home for a simple Jewish family. However, Joseph almost missed the call of God because the immaculate conception didn't fit into his plan and offended his sensibilities of how things ought to be done. Now, how many of you have ever been offended by God because you had a plan or a sense of how things ought to be done? Ought to be done in your life, ought to work out in your planning and your subsets, right? Joseph could have said to himself, it is not my plan to be married to a woman who claims pregnancy by supernatural undefined means, nor do I plan on supporting this child that is not my own. It would definitely take a deep level of trust in God and those he's put in my path for me to do this. And I don't want to deal with the ridicule of what it will mean to be associated with such a faith, when such a faith will be misunderstood, right? A lot of the things that God calls you into, even in the belief in the supernatural, the belief in that which God has done, bringing about Jesus by the immaculate conception, his death, burial, and resurrection, can that not bring the sting of reproach even in the culture in which we live today? The answer is yes, but God's not concerned with all of that. He says, I'm willing to upend your plans of purpose for yourself to be able to bring about my ultimate good in the world around you. And what he says is this, that we find ourselves in similar circumstances, and we've got to ask ourselves, ourselves the questions like, do you have ideas of how you would best or should best spend your time? What type of experiences should fill your Instagram feeds and your life? What about your idea of the relationships you will call a prioritized one in your life? What about the resources that you have and what you're giving it to and supporting? All of these things were upended for Joseph, and we are taught the lesson that when God draws near, it'll be upended for us as well. It will be upended for us as well because God's got a bigger plan of salvation. The only way, though, that we're going to come into these things is by recognizing that which is being birthed by the Holy Spirit. You need to be able to recognize that which is being birthed by the Holy Spirit by answering this fundamental question. How will I recognize what the Holy Spirit is doing in, around, and through my life? You do this in part by responding to the relationships that will bring you into the mission of God's redemptive story. When we look at the life of Joseph, we see that Joseph didn't necessarily come into the story of God through a direct means. And if you have ever uh, had the Western uh, view of spirituality, you've been challenged to have this idea of individualistic faith, right? Right? Like if God is going to convince me of his reality, he needs to open the heavens, come down, and show me who he is me, um, by myself, right? Has anybody ever heard something like that before? If God is real, he's going to open the heavens and appear to me tomorrow, right? Or if God is real, he's going to appear to me in a vision just like he did to the people in the Bible. But what we see is that in Joseph's case, he was brought into that which the Holy Spirit was doing by an indirect mean. When the Holy Spirit was conceiving the, the Christ in Mary, that was his entry into the purposes of God. 
That was his entry into the purposes of God through an indirect manner. And it was only through his embrace of that which was indirect did he come into that which was vitally important in terms of his role in kingdom purposes. The question is, how has God not necessarily come to you directly, but even indirectly to bring you into the purposes of God? What that means is who has been a family member, who has been a friend, who has been somebody who's been testifying about the goodness of God's salvation to you in such a way that they say, not only is God birthing something in me, but you have a vital role to play in his kingdom purposes, helping to steward that which God wants to do in the earth. And you're going to find both your purpose and definition through the connection that God's given me with you. Who is it that God's done that with in your life? I remember I didn't grow up in church at all, and I remember having people that were continually sent to me, right? Sent to me, that aggravated me, that got under my skins and got on my nerves. Anybody remember people like that before, who lovingly helped them get into the church world? It might have been your parents. It might have been a good friend. It might have been a spouse. It might have been a coworker. But somebody was that burr in your saddle saying, hey, listen, there's something that the Holy Spirit is birthing, and though you might not have thought about it before or considered your role in it, there is a vital role for you to play if you respond to God and recognize that which the Holy Spirit is doing. That's what Joseph had to recognize in this scenario. And the only thing he was able to do is recognize that the call to be a surrogate father to Jesus, the Son of God, not only rubbed his natural sensibilities, but it would require him to overcome doubts and reasonable suspicions towards Mary. Because that vision that Mary had, that reality that was being birthed in her, didn't come to him immediately. But thanks be to God, God said he calls each of us by name. He calls each of the stars in heaven by name. And it wasn't only about Mary. It was also about what God wanted to do in Joseph's life, right? And so Joseph, being a reasonable man, it said, he was considering these don't fit into my plans, so I'm going to think about how to divorce her quietly. I'm going to be the just one here. But then God had to what? Intervene and come with a vision in the night of an angel speaking to him, saying, hey, Joseph, do not fear. Do not be afraid, because that which is conceived of Mary is of the Holy Spirit, is of the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, despite what your plans were up to this point, you need to take her home as your wife. You need to take her home as your wife, and now I have a role for you to be the surrogate father of the Son of God who's going to bring salvation to the world. And the beauty of it was is that God said, I'm starting this mission maybe through an indirect means in your life, but now I'm confirming it through my angel. I'm confirming it through a messenger, saying this messenger is giving you a direct order. This messenger is giving you a directive of purpose. This messenger is defining for you how the unusual mission that was entrusted to Mary is also going to define your life. And the question during the Advent season is how have we been open not only to the Holy Spirit coming to us <coughs> excuse me, and defining us directly, but how have we been also open to the Holy Spirit defining us indirectly? 
And who have the messengers been in your life to confirm that purpose in his unusual plan and mission for your life? Now, a lot of times you can think to yourself, well, if I'm going to be open not only to the Holy Spirit, but I'm going to be open to also the messengers who come to confirm his mission in my life, I've got to be not only aware of recognizing the Holy Spirit, but be able to say, how do I know if it's actually him? Well, ultimately, it comes down to the fact that this story is all about not Joseph, not Mary, but Emmanuel. It's about Emmanuel. See, Joseph was, even though he was a, a, a faithful and probably a dutiful man, he was building a life for himself. He was building a life for himself. And that's ultimately what we all do left to ourselves, right? We build lives, we build monuments, we build traditions and trajectories all for the benefit of ourselves. And whenever God's drawing near, he's basically saying, Joseph it's not going to be business as usual anymore. Ultimately, your life, much to your surprise, by my design, is about stewarding Emmanuel. Is about Emmanuel and serving Emmanuel, bringing him to this world. And like Joseph, we all need to come to a point where we realize that our lives are ultimately about glorifying Jesus and supporting the story of Emmanuel. How God draws near to both judge and save the world through his Christ. That is the point of this story. It's not just to tell you how Jesus showed up on the scene. It's ultimately to challenge us to, re, to reimagine our worldview to reimagine how we're building our trajectories, how we're building our pursuits, how we're building our lives. To say, you might have been building this way according to the, the norms and the mores of culture, but now I'm telling you to rebuild it according to this paradigm, that your life, interrupted, is meant to serve Emmanuel. It's meant for Emmanuel. Why? Because ultimately, all the meta-narrative of creation is ultimately history, meaning his story. The point of Bible accounts is understanding that God the creator had a plan from the beginning, but you are made by his power and for his purposes, each and every one of you. And until you find yourself submitted to his power and living for his purposes, you will live unfulfilled, undefined, and ultimately judged living in sin. But he says through repentance and faith, you come back into his story. This means that the story of human history is all about God the Father sending his son Jesus, conceived by the Holy Spirit, to save a world broken and estranged from him. In many traditions, the second Sunday of Advent represents peace, right? You have the first Sunday of Advent talking about his coming representing hope. It's the hope of the world. Jesus coming into the world. He's the hope to make wrong things right. The second Sunday of Advent often represents the peace, the tranquility, the rest, the well-being that God's bringing to the world through his shalom. He's continually speaking shalom, peace. <laughs> Excuse me peace over his people, well-being over his people. Jesus is, in fact, called 
the Prince of Peace. And when he comes, he said, the increase of his government and peace shall know no end. But it's when we submit to him and respond like Joseph did in this scenario to understand our purpose is in serving Emmanuel, who is God with us. Submitting to this reality is where you find true fulfillment and peace, as opposed to the dangling man being eaten alive by the parasite of purpose and personal destiny. Joseph understand, understood that his significance was actually couched and contextualized in the story of God. Think about our Western culture. Everybody wants to make a name for themselves, right? Everybody wants to make a name for themselves. And it, let, me, let, me, let me give you this type of terminology that there is of our, of our day, especially my sister. She's um, in advertising right now. And um, so she's um, involved in the, the uh, I guess, culture of branding, right? Anybody heard of branding before? And everybody wants to be there or become their own personal brand, right? You have classes and, you know, seminars and things about branding yourself and becoming your own brand. But the thing about this story is that he's saying, ultimately, your significance, stop trying to find your significance in and of yourself, your significance is found as a part of his story. And your significance comes when you find your role as a part of his story. You see, Joseph and Mary, though they might have been honored of God, they were not so important in and of themselves, except that they were submitted to playing a role in bringing Emmanuel to the earth and stewarding his life so that he could become the savior of the world. You see, the older you get, the more you realize that eventually the whole world will eventually forget you. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? Some young people are like, what? But I've posted so much. There's so much documentation of my life. That's okay. It will be, it'll be wiped away in cyberspace and all come to nothing. I was watching, it. I mean, and I don't recommend it, please don't judge me, but I was watching while I was laid up in bed uh, Martin Scorsese's uh, recent film on Netflix um, called uh, The Irishman. Okay, I'm not recommending it. Okay, that's not what I'm preaching here. Okay, but it was about the life of Jimmy Hoffa. Okay, anybody um, like old enough to remember Jimmy Hoffa? Union boss, okay, you're right. Like, see how many hands are up right now. Look, Jimmy Hoffa, besides the president, besides the president of the United States, when unions were being mobilized and unions were being um, the driving force of society, he was like one of the most influential people in our nation. So much so that not only JFK, but his little brother RFK came after him with a vengeance, right? Robert Kennedy, they came after him with a vengeance to pull down him and the unions and all the organizing that took place. But in the uh, movie, it was basically talking about the fact that there was this lady of our generation who was taking care of one of the uh, younger, uh, I'm sorry, one of the older men who used to be part of his, um, his sort of entourage. And he was showing him a picture of his family with Jimmy Hoffa. And he was like, do you know who this is? And she's like, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. He's like, you don't know who this is. This is Jimmy Hoffa. 
the second most important man in America during his time. And she's like, oh, yeah, Hoffa. She's like, forget it. You don't know who he is. And is that not like what we are today? Or think about sports. How many of you have a favorite athlete right now? A favorite athlete. And I love one of our preachers who used to, like, always say, the most insignificant person in the world's eye is an ex-athlete. The most insignificant person in the world. Because in their moment of fame, they're getting all the accolades. They're getting all the highlights. They're getting all the money, right? But I talked to my children today about a man named David Robinson. And they're like, who? And I'm like, that offends me. David Robinson was a man of God, but they don't know what David Robinson has done to build the Spurs into the championship team that they are today. Why? Because they're a generation removed. And that's what happens to every man, and <coughs> to me, obviously, and every woman <laughs> who tries to live for a sense of significance and purpose outside of the commands and the purpose of God. You will be forgotten. You will go into oblivion. You will go into being not considered anything important in this life except that you are part of God's story. Joseph's significance came in his role a part of God's story. And though his plans were not God's plans. He submitted to them. He submitted to them and said, my role, my life, and my significance in history will ultimately be defined not by me, not by my simple pursuits, not by my weak machinations, but by Emmanuel, God with us, who drew near to save the world the eternal one, with no beginning or end, who says, I hold all of life in the palm of my hand. I spoke it into existence, and I sustain all of creation by my powerful word. And if you want that peace that the world is longing for, it's not by you finding your own purpose. It's by you submitting to the story of Emmanuel, God with us, who drew near to save us from our sins, to save us from our sexual immorality and our drunkenness, to save us from our selfishness and our impropriety, to save us from our jealousy and envy, to save us from anything except the identity that he wants to give us. Will it cost you something? Yes, just like it did Joseph. It will cost you unearthing and overthrowing that plan which you had for yourself. But when you submit to it, it'll ultimately be the thing that brings the peace that the Son of God came to bring. The sooner like Joseph, we recognize that our purpose is to find our place in God's redemptive storyline, the sooner we'll stop trying to live for ourselves. The sooner we'll stop trying to live for ourselves. Instead, we'll come to the cross in repentance to receive forgiveness of sins through Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross, burial, and resurrection from the dead. 
will accept our place in serving God's ultimate ends as we're entrusted with the unusual mission of serving Emmanuel. God with us. See, that's the point of that story. It's not just for you to know how Jesus showed up. It's how he unearthed and overturned the life of a man who was unexpecting, who was unexpecting and really up to a certain point unwilling to go along with the plan. But when he submitted to it, when he submitted to it, he was able to find the definition, the purpose, and ultimately the peace that his surrogate son came to bring. Jesus, God who saves us from our sins. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, who's with them then and is with us today. And regardless of where you started off, you can turn to him right now and say, God, my life is going to be defined by you. Not just going through the motions in this Advent season. I'm going to allow my life to be upended and defined by you. In Jesus' name. Amen.